Well, we have arrived at our second scripture passage this morning, and as she mentioned, it comes from the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to be reading from the 14th chapter, beginning with verse 1, and then skipping down to verses 7 through 14. Again, that's Luke's Gospel, the 14th chapter, verses 1, and then 7 through 14. And what I love about this summer is we find ourselves in this season called Ordinary, and we've been working our way through the book of Luke. So this story today from Jesus' life actually builds upon stories that we've heard in recent weeks. Um, It builds upon conversations that Jesus has had with some of the religious leaders over recent weeks. And I would encourage you as I read this morning to kind of just perk up your ears and think about where you're seeing some of the continuations, some themes that are being continued, some things that Jesus continues to remind us of as we seek to walk with him in faith. But again, Luke's Gospel, the 14th chapter. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both you... Both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place, and then, dis- then in disgrace you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." And he also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for your love and your mercy that you have extended towards us. We are totally undeserving of it. And Lord, we know there's nothing that we can ever do to repay you for your love. But Lord, we do ask today that as we seek to become more Christ-like, that you would teach us that we might become more loving that you would change and transform our minds and our hearts, that our attitudes might reflect that of Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that as we go forth in a short while, that we would go forth to serve, to minister, to to show your grace and mercy to all that we meet. Lord, we're not perfect, we fall short, and we need your help in all these things. So Father, teach us these lessons today, and may the power of your Holy Spirit help us to live them out in the days to come. So Lord, open our eyes this morning, we ask, unclog our ears, and Lord, be at work in our lives. And now, Lord, over these next few moments, I pray that you would speak through me, or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me, but I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we would be changed by it. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory we ask all these things, and together all God's people said, amen. Jesus is coming to dinner. I mean, picture the scene with me. Jesus is coming 
to dinner, you would think maybe you'd be excited by that. After the things that we've read, the things that we've seen and observed and heard over recent weeks, it seems like good news that Jesus would be coming to dinner. I mean, this is a guy who can take loaves and fish and multiply them to feed thousands. He's been able to take people whose bodies are broken, whose lives are just a mess, and he's made them whole. Jesus is coming to dinner. This is something you think you would shout from the mountaintops, maybe declare from the rooftops at the very least. But the Pharisee who invited Jesus isn't doing that. And neither are the other people who have been invited to this party. Jesus is coming to dinner. And in the section of Scripture that we didn't read this morning, a section that I'm going to kind of just summarize for us this morning, something rather important happens. This Pharisee, this religious leader, is hosting a dinner party, and he invites Jesus. And at first, this seems like a good thing. Jesus is coming to dinner. But this Pharisee and his friends they're not, coming, they're not having Jesus come to dinner because they're excited that he's going to be there. They're not coming because they want to hear him speak or hear what he has to say. No, they've invited him, Luke is very clear, for one reason and one reason alone. They want to watch him closely. I mean, you can almost picture it as Luke is describing it. You can see the Pharisees almost wringing their hands, slyly thinking, we're going to trap him. We're going to get him, uh, and we're going to hear him say something he shouldn't. We're going to see him do something that he shouldn't. And you know what? We're going to stack the deck against him. And they do. Because amidst all these other religious leaders and amidst Jesus who's there, there's one guest that just seems utterly out of place. And it's this man who is dealing with dropsy, who has this condition caused by his heart that caused various, various parts of his body to swell and it would become unsightly. This was someone that these religious leaders would keep at arm's length because being around him could make them ritually unpure. So why in the world is this guy here? Well, Luke's clear as to why this man's been invited. They've stacked the deck against Jesus. It's the Sabbath. And knowing how Jesus has behaved, knowing the things that he's taught, knowing how he's ministered in the past, this is the perfect way to set him out. How better to get him to do something than to bring a man in need of healing to this dinner party? Once Jesus sees this, surely he's going to heal him. But before he does, when Jesus notices this man, this man who is dealing with this issue, an issue that probably left him embarrassed, an issue that probably left him at arm's length from the world around him, Jesus looks at the Pharisees. He looks at these experts in the law, and he asks them a question. He says, if your child... Or if an ox were to fall into the well on the Sabbath, would you not immediately pull them out? These religious experts, these who were voiced and who knew so much about the law, they said nothing. They were silent. They're silent not because they don't know the answer. They're silent because they want to see what Jesus is going to do. So they say not a single word. And Jesus grabs this man. He heals him. And he sends him on his way. 
As you can imagine, the tension in that room was probably so thick you could cut it with a knife. These religious leaders, these experts in the law, they're utterly aghast at all that has just taken place. This is exactly what they had planned. Their plan couldn't have gone better. But how dare Jesus do this? He's just broken the law. He's healed again on the Sabbath. Jesus has come to dinner and He's done everything that they expected Him to do, everything that they wanted. And it's now knowing that He's fallen into their trap. It's now that they become excited, that they become jubilant, that they become happy that Jesus is there. They have trapped Him. Their scheming has paid off. But it's just as the partygoers were beginning to pat themselves on the back that again, Jesus asked that question, if your child or an ox had fallen into the well on a Sabbath, would you not have helped pull them out? And again, they're speechless. These religious leaders, these experts in the law, they don't say a word. But what has become apparent is that God's love and care for His children is very different from these Pharisees in their cold, calculating ways. They're concerned far more about rigid adherence to the law, making sure that they check all the right boxes, do all the right things, avoid all the things that they know they should avoid according to the law. They're so concerned with doing those things that they don't care for their neighbor. They don't care for the well-being of those who are right in front of them. In fact, they take someone who's hurting, someone who's embarrassed, and they manipulate them. For their own purposes. Love and care for neighbor is sacrificed in the name of keeping the law for them no matter what. And what's even more, Jesus has just healed this man. He's just transformed this man's life. He's restored his health and restored him to community. Things could not be any better for him. But these religious leaders can't see that. They can't recognize that. They can't bring themselves to celebrate that. They can't focus on God's goodness. They can't focus on this incredible display of love and mercy and grace that they've just seen. No, all they can see is what's wrong with the situation. It's the Sabbath. This kind of stuff can't be tolerated. Friends, don't we each know someone like that? Maybe if we're honest and look deep into ourselves, maybe that person is us this morning. People who don't want to see what God is doing. People who when they look around them can't celebrate God's work. People who are unable to care for the needs of others because all they can see or maybe all that we can see is what we're lacking or what we don't have or what we're missing out on. So I pray as we hear this portion of the story that God may take this example of these cold, uncaring Pharisees and He might use that to soften our hearts that we might be more sensitive to what He's doing so that we might be more ready to sing His praises and celebrate what He's up to so that we might have those hearts that overflow and talk about God's satisfaction just as the psalmist did this morning. And I pray that we would find and experience God's grace in such a way that it would give us the freedom that this man who was healed experienced. But the wonderful thing is the story doesn't end there. In fact, the, our story picked up right after that this morning. But I think this 
part of the story is important because it sets the context for what's to come. Because as the story continues, Jesus turns his attention from the healing of this man who was dealing with dropsy to the subjects of pride and humility. And he does this by telling, as he often does, a parable. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And this story that he tells, it has so many similarities with what has just happened, this very setting that Jesus finds himself in. The story is about a party. A party very much like the one he's at. And it's a story about a social faux pas. As the story goes, the party is underway. The guests have gathered. Everyone's milling about, socializing, having a wonderful time. The meal's been prepared. The table's been set. Everything is ready. And now it's time to sit down. It's time to sit down and it's time to eat the meal. And so the party guests begin to make their way to the table. Now, the tables aren't set up in rows. They're not set up in a square. They're not set up in a circle. No, these tables have been set up in a U-shaped form. And kind of at what would be the base of the U is where the host would sit. Where those who had invited the others to the party would assume their place, and next to that host were the places of honor. The places where everyone wanted to to be seated because they would be next to the host. They'd be among the the first served. They, They would have some of the best conversation. Of course, everyone wants to sit there. But the problem, according to Jesus, is although everyone wants to sit there, there's just not enough seats. Someone's going to have to sit at the far ends of the U. Someone's going to have to sit at a distance from the host and from some of the other more entertaining guests. But Jesus is also clear we have this natural tendency. It's a tendency that every human being has. We want that place of honor. And so as we make our way into that banquet, As we make that way into the banquet, there's that desire to assume that place of honor. But that's where the faux pas comes in because when you assume that place of honor, the host is going to come in and he's going to see someone that he or she wants to sit next to and have conversation with someone he or she wants to hear the story of their life and what's going on in their their business. And so you're going to be kicked out of that seat to make room for that person. Our arrogance, our pride, it gets in the way. Our arrogance and pride, it gets in the way. We assume that place of honor and then we're forced into a place of humility. We're compelled to sit in a seat in a lower place, one that we didn't want. But Jesus also reminds that the opposite scenario is also equally probable. That if you assume one of those outer seats, one of those places of less honor, it's quite likely that the host is going to come in and he or she is going to see you and want to hear your story, want to know more about you. And so you're going to be the one to be invited to that place of honor. In this way, the words of James chapter 4, verse 10 are proved to be true. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. So having availed himself of this opportunity to talk to his partygoers about this healing, having, having performed this miracle in their midst, and now having talked to them about pride and humility, our own arrogance and being made low, he now turns his attention maybe 
to the least likely of places. He turns his attention and he turns his comment towards the Pharisee who has invited him to dinner. The one who has extended this invitation not only to him, but to all the esteemed people who are in the room. And it's then that things become rather tense. I mean, after all, this Pharisee who has invited him is well respected within the community. All the guests that are there esteem this person. But Jesus isn't bothered by the strained relationships. He isn't bothered by the fact that he's healed this man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees don't like that it's happened. He's not deterred by the fact that he's talked about pride and humility, subjects that they didn't want to hear about because they were convicting. No, things are intense and Jesus reads the room and knows it. But rather than diffusing the difficult, intense situation, it's almost like Jesus pours gasoline on the fire. He turns to this well-respected host, this prominent religious leader in the community, and he gives to him a primer about hospitality. And it's there that that upside-down kingdom, which is mentioned in your bulletin, comes into play and comes into view most squarely. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Jesus has already talked about those things. He's already displayed the fact that God's love and care for people is not going to be bound by man-made rules. And now he talks about hospitality. Hospitality, as Jesus talks about it, is incredibly costly. It's not to be found as you invite your friend or your neighbor or the rich member of the community over to your house for dinner. It's not to be found in those relationships because true hospitality is not to be found in reciprocal relationships where if I give you this, you give me that in return. It's not an exchange. No, true hospitality, as Jesus tells this Pharisee, involves inviting over those, welcoming those in, as Amy talked about moments ago. It involves welcoming those folks in who can't pay you back who have nothing to offer in return. For whom even saying thanks can sometimes be difficult. True hospitality in that sense is tied to grace. It has nothing to do with what we've earned. It has nothing to do with our social standing or background or what credentials we have. No, true hospitality is tied to the unmerited grace of God. It involves extending an invitation to those who don't deserve it, who can't repay it, and who sometimes abuse it. And Paul reminds us of this truth in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Talking to the Roman Christians, he asked them to contribute to the needs of the saints and to show hospitality to the strangers in their midst. People who have wandered in from far-flung places, people for whom this place in Rome is not their home. People who probably have just the clothing on their backs. He invites them to welcome them in. To treat them not as stranger, but as friend. And the writer of Hebrews will pick up on that theme in Hebrews chapter 13 when he goes on to remind us that oftentimes we entertain strangers, we've entertained angels unawares. So friends, today, I pray that this scripture would challenge us. 
that again, as we look at the life of Jesus, as we look at the things that He has to say, that we would see His unmerited love and favor for us. That even though we've done nothing to earn it or deserve us, He loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. He's extended hospitality to us. He gives us mercy. Mercy that is new every morning. And for that, we're grateful. But I hope you can see that. But I hope that you can also be challenged today by the fact that as we seek to follow Christ, as we seek to live as Christians in this world, that's the example that we're called to follow. That we too need to extend true hospitality. Christ-like hospitality. Hospitality that's unmerited, undeserved, often unreciprocated, and can sometimes be taken advantage of. And I pray that today we would hear and heed the words of the Orthodox priest John Joel in closing. He says, Those who sought to entrap Jesus in the breaking of Sabbath laws missed the point of his healing ministry. They failed the test of humility, and they were self-serving in their hospitality. He says, so let us be aware that Jesus is coming to dinner. Whenever we reach out to bring hope and healing to others or open our hearts to those who others reject, Jesus comes to dinner. We are called as people of faith. We are called as people of faith to become a community of hope and healing, a place of hospitality where humility is the true mark of grace and greatness. Amen and amen. Will you please bow with me in prayer this morning?